Blog Talk Radio. up everybody july 14th another episode of inside the burger shop a podcast discussion at the intersection of sports marketing entertainment technology and more i am ryan burger taking you through the next hour of our conversation we will be joined shortly by the great tommy beer senior basketball nba analyst over at rotowire and at Basketball Insider is one of the great follows on Twitter, just an incredible basketball mind. So we'll be excited to talk to Tommy about everything going on with the league, summer league, the Knicks, rookies, etc. So hopefully everybody will enjoy that a little bit. It's uh, a rainy, humid day in New York. Um, <coughs> I was in Florida and Miami all week, had the opportunity to go to the MLB All-Star Game, which is always one of my most one of the most fun activities of the summer, um, although the Home Run Derby has sort of taken an entirely new life about it with the new format and, and was, you know, really incredible to watch, watching these young players like Cody Bellinger from the Dodgers and Aaron Judge, of course, from the Yankees is just incredible to watch as these guys are on each coast tearing the league up. So a lot of fun this week over at the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Shout out to Robbie Cano for the big dinger in the 10th to give the AL a 2-1 win. And if somehow uh, Robbie can continue that, the Mariners, who are a bunch of games out of first but have a lot of talent on that team, can potentially make a run in the second half of of the baseball season. Um, Of course, uh, thanks to our guys from our last show, B.J. Bass, an agent, uh, and his guy Eric Griffin is tearing up the summer league right now. And, of course, thanks to Joe Schwartz, Mouth of the South, who joined us to talk a lot about the Sixers, Joel Embiid, Fultz, Sarek, and a bunch of their new young pieces. So we had a fun show a couple weeks ago. 
um, and we'll continue in that today. I want to thank our sponsors, uh, of course, our original partner, Hyper. Uh, Hyper is the world's largest search engine database for influencers. You can check out more information on Hyper at hyperbrands.com, H-Y-P-R brands.com. Hyper is the world's largest search engine database for influencers and celebrities. Head on over to the hyperbrands.com and check it out. Our second partner is the Crowds Line. Head on over to the Crowds Line uh, where you can make your prediction of what's going to happen um, in, the league, in the league and any other sports that you are choosing. Head on over to the crowdsline.com, make your prediction of what you think is going to happen on tonight's game, win prizes, iTunes gift cards, and whatnot. Beat the experts, the crowdsline.com. Head on over. And, of course, our favorite partner, Billy Kotler, the great chef over down at Pita Express, 15 Ann Street, the best Mediterranean food in New York City. Head on down. Let Billy know you're a listener of the podcast. I'll hook you up with some hummus, some other appetizers. They're the best down there, the best food in downtown Manhattan. Pita Express, 15 Ann Street in downtown New York City. And without further ado, we are joined by one of our good friends from the show. He is the great the Detroit Lions fan, Tommy Beer. Uh, Tommy is the senior analyst over at Basketball Insiders, a writer at Rotowire, and of course an incredible follow on Twitter with all of his analytics and numbers. He's at Tommy Beer, B-E-E-R, on Twitter. Thomas, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Ryan. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm a little tired. Uh, I had a dinner last night after a long travel week, and I DVR'd and got to watch that great 30 for 30, which I'm a huge uh, – I'm a kid of Mike and the Mad Dog. grew up with them. So watch that and then watch the uh, the Lonzo Ball Lakers performance. So it was a late night uh, over here, but uh, that's, I guess, what happens when you're a sports media and hoops head, huh? It happens to the best of us, yes. Unfortunately, it's it's not a choice. Um, I I haven't watched obviously I DVR the Mike as as are you. Um, grew up listening to Mike and the Mad Dog. Pretty much any time I was in the car with my dad, uh, those two guys were with us. So um, definitely looking forward to it. Was it good? I've I've heard nothing but good things. I, I assume that it uh, lived up to the hype. The thing that sucked about it most was that it was only an hour. Um, I had a friend right. over who we, we, were, you know, we grew up listening to them every day. Same thing when I was in the car with my dad. I would just always be listening to these guys. They're, you know, they're so different. The story is so amazing, and the, the, some of the footage they had was great. But it was quick. It was an hour, um, and it's a story that uh, has a lot of different legs. And I, I thought the only thing I would have liked to see is some of the – Know, quasi-celebrities that have come out of the show, uh, Dennis from Yonkers, Mike from Montclair, those kinds of guys, Doris from Rigo Park, Jerome, these are right. guys that you know you heard growing up, and they did very, they were in it for maybe 30 seconds, but I thought you could have done right. a fun little thing with them, and them being kind of celebrities in their own neighborhoods, just because they got so much access and time on on the Mike and the Dog platform, but yeah, it, it's really well done, just like the all the, all the other 30 for 30s. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe that's a topic for a whole separate documentary. It's just the, the lives on the periphery of guys calling the fan and how it's impacted um, listeners and, and callers alike. 
Yeah, and, and the uh, you know the thing that does come out on this one is the actual um, amount of individuals who are part of the show who have whose careers have exploded, like an Iron Eagle, um, right. who was part of the show and now is one of the lead you know football and, and and sports media guys out there. So it's it's really really good stuff. And what do you think happens with Mike going forward, starting uh, you know, December think, next year? Yeah. I had read something that he's been offered a situation at Sirius, uh, sort of a weekday, couple days a week thing um, from one to four, and that dog who's currently doing three to six, and the way they would structure it, would they would overlap for one hour, and they would do that. Mm. Um, it's a great idea. Hard to believe Mike is gonna, you know, do that mm-hmm. with him and go to and be on Mad Dog Radio, especially when you hear a lot of the things uh, in the sh- in the and you know how Francesa is. Things yes. like digital media and podcasts, you know, as you know, um, I have to imagine have been looked at by him um, and evaluated. But you know, I don't know. It's uh, it's a pretty big uh, question right now, and and just as big of a question is what does the fan do for that amazing window of yeah. drive? Who do they, yeah. who do they bring? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I assume they'll split it up, you know, you know, like one to three or you know, twelve to three and then three to seven. But um, yes, still fascinating nonetheless. Fascinating, and you know, so let's get into the the hoops world because obviously, you know, we're in, we're in New York, and uh, it seems like every week there's a, a a different thing going on with the Knicks. Not all, not ever feeling like it's actually positive. Um, news breaks yesterday that uh, Scott Perry will be the new GM after, I guess, a week and a half ago where David Griffin pulls his name, uh, doesn't feel as though can hire his own people, et cetera. So before we get into anything else, just want to obviously have a big New York audience talk a little bit about the Knicks, what you're hearing, what you're seeing. You know, let's start with what you know about Scott Perry um, and where this thing is. Yeah, I mean, Scott Perry has a good reputation around the league. Obviously, not much in terms of experience in, in running a franchise. You know, he's worked on the Joe Dumars in Detroit and, and Hennigan out in Orlando and obviously just signed on with the Kings a few months ago. Um, you know, but outside of that, hasn't been, you know, the, the top shot caller, so to speak, in a franchise. Um, you know, he's kind of been an underling um, and certainly had a say and, and is respected within NBA circles. Um, but that being said, it's, it's a bit of a, a you know risk hiring a guy that doesn't have um, you know executive experience on that level. Um, but uh, unfortunately, you know with the Knicks, it's not a surprise because essentially Dolan has decided that uh, despite his the people he's had in charge for the better part of the last 15 years being incredibly unsuccessful, he's going to stick with them and allow them to continue making decisions, um, which which doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, Steve Mills has called the shot so far this summer and has made two disastrous decisions in handing out $80 million million in contracts. He's got two players to show for it, Tim Hardaway Jr. and Ron Baker, um, two terrible contracts. Um, Again, not bad players, um, but in terms of the the way you have to allocate resources in today's NBA with the salary cap, um, it's a poor decision by Mills. Um, Nonetheless, he got promoted by Dolan. And um, the Knicks are a, a joke of a franchise and a mess, uh, you know, and it unfortunately doesn't look like it'll get much better. Um, regarding Scott Perry, um, you know, hopefully he, you know, has the right, you know, the, the, you know um, is a good hire, but does it essentially even matter if, if Steve Mills has the, you know, the final say in, in basketball decisions going forward? Um, you know, it sounds like he's coming in a little bit neutered. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. Um, Perry in and of himself certainly wasn't a bad hire. 
Um, but again, in, in the grand scheme of things, how much of an impact it will actually have on the organization remains to be seen. Well, that's the big question, right? I mean, there's all these names out there. Obviously, Griffin was a very qualified big name, but felt as though he wasn't going to be able to do the job to the best of his ability based on the roadblocks that, that are set up there. Um, did you get the feel or have you heard that multiple GMs or people who would be interested in this, <laughs> this is the of the New York Knicks, um, are people starting to say, I'm not interested in this job because I can't do what I want to do, therefore they bring in sort of a B, a good candidate, but almost a B candidate, knowing that this guy is going to have to report to Mills. He doesn't have the authority nor the ability to actually use his expertise. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And, yes, I mean, that's the reason Griffin's walked away. And then any other respected, you know, top-tier GM is not going to take a job, you know, where, where they are coming in right off the bat and saying you have to report to somebody who, one, doesn't have a good track record and, and doesn't have a long track record. And the track – I'm speaking of Steve Mills. Um, and the track record he does have isn't, isn't exemplary by any stretch of the imagination. So no GM worth his salt with any leverage and any good GM is going to have leverage. So no GM with, you know, with a, with a solid reputation and executive experience and, and, you know, conference final championships on their resume, et cetera, um, such as David Griffin would allow themselves to go to a situation, um, you know, that, and, and not to mention the fact that it's been a circus for the, you know, for the last two decades with Dolan in charge and, throwing out former players and it's just it's, it's a mess so um all that considered you know there was it looked like for a second there that they were going to turn the corner and you know make some good decisions um you know with, with phil jackson on the way out the knicks had plenty of cash space this summer going forward they had all their draft picks so you know if as long as dolan promised to stay out of the way which he did under the phil jackson regime um and you know he hired a, a guy like david griffin or a like-minded gm you know shoot for the stars a guy like rc buford out in san antonio or messiah ogiri from Toronto, you know, hand the keys, hand the, hand the reins over to those guys, give those guys complete autonomy, and let them methodically, shrewdly, smartly rebuild this thing, you know, you could get excited as a Knicks fan, but unfortunately Mills, uh, you know, stepped in the way and Dolan decided he wasn't going to give that autonomy to another player. Mills made a couple bad signings, and, you know, the Knicks are back on track to be um, at best mediocre and at worst terrible for the next, you know, three or four years, you know, going into the foreseeable future. Great to hear as a huge Nick fan. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, the hard. I love your piece. I guess it's in Basketball Insiders the other day regarding Hardaway. It, it was the perfect piece because he is a good player and he has and he is a young piece and he has gotten better. There's no question at that. Mm-hmm. And whether yep. whether the Hawks were offering him 50 or 45 and the Knicks were offering him 71, whatever the numbers are, the one thing I really liked about what you had to say, which I, I couldn't agree more on, is is this is a good player and a good signing for the wrong situation at the wrong time. He's a, re- he's a nice young piece, and if you start saying, yeah, we have Frankie and we have KP and now you have him and you have Willie, now you have this young core of players, but it's not as black and white and as simple as that, and it almost feels like this signing should have been done Obviously, he wouldn't have been available, but almost in two years, when Melo is gone, when the young core is starting to rebuild, when KP, so that you, you, you grow with guys together as opposed to adding guys almost like band-aids into the mess and getting them caught up. Now he's going to come in. Who's Courtney Lee is still here. You still have Melo here. I mean, I, I, I just can't fathom what the heck is going on. 
Yeah, it, just, it doesn't make a sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense on really any level. You know, the, 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 plus the fact that they gave him a fourth-year player option. So even if he exceeds expectations, like Steve Mill believes he will, they're, they're going to have a tough time keeping him. They gave him a 15% trade kicker, which makes it that much more difficult to trade him if and when they decide that um, it makes sense to do so. Um, it, it just there's there's basic stuff there that doesn't compute. You know, um, as you mentioned, you know the best key, again, you know, not, not a knock on, on Tim Hardaway. He's a solid young player. Um, improved defensively, knockdown shooter adds, you know, a, um, a layer of perimeter shooting that they certainly need. Um, but again, in the NBA, it's all about getting, uh, you know, it's better essentially to have a good player on a great contract than, uh, you know, or even a mediocre player on a great contract than a good player on a terrible contract um, because it really hamstrings the franchise in terms of things they can do going forward. And right now the, um, the, you know, the, 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 having cap space is so important, not just for the ability to sign free agents both this summer and into the future, um, but you can also take on contracts and, and add assets. I mean, look at, you know, for instance, nobody would consider Justin Hamilton, who the Nets just traded for a 2018 first-round pick and Damari Carroll and a second-round pick, in the same class as Carmelo Anthony, but he may get a better return than Carmelo Anthony, and that's because of his contract and the fact that the Nets have cap space and other teams are desperate to dump cap space. Uh, the Nets also added D'Angelo, uh, D'Angelo Russell this summer, um, you know, and, and basically for because they had the cap space and were willing to take on Timothy Mozgov's contract. Those are the type of things that a rebuilding organization, a team that has, set, has charted a course and say, okay, here's what we are. We're not going to win a championship this year or next year or the year after. So let's build a, a team that can at some point in the future. Um, you know, in, in, the, in the article you referenced, um, I wrote that the, I, the goal should not be to win 35 games next season or 38 games next season and have a chance at cracking the eighth seed so you have the privilege to get swept by the Cavs in the first round. That doesn't do anything for you long term. The goal should be to construct a roster that is sustainable in the long term and eventually – Two, you know, three years down the road, maybe four years down the road, when KP hits his prime, and you have a, you know, uh, hopefully Frankie Nielakina is is a similarly talented, athletic player, you know, starts to, to develop as a guy. Then you can win 50 games or 54 games or 52 games and kind of be in that conversation for the top four seeds, top three seeds in the conference. Um, once the Cavs have kind of, you know, LeBron eventually slows down and the Warriors, uh, you know, hopefully that thing starts to break up. Um, but, yeah, you position yourself to, to, to take advantage of the situation as it comes. Adding Tim Hardaway Jr. and going from, you know, a, a D-plus, C-minus team to a C-minus C team, um, is, is, it, it probably propels you towards the middle. And in the NBA, that's no man's land. That's, that's the dead zone. The worst place to be, no question. We're talking right. with the great Tommy Beer from Basketball Insiders. Um, you know, Tommy, obviously the cloud hanging over the Knicks is, is the situation with Carmelo. Off and on, rumors left and right sounded to me from some of the people I had spoken to last week, like Houston was pretty much a done deal. Um, now Perry comes in, and you can kind of tell he has let these guys know, hey, guys, shut it down a little bit. Maybe it'll give us some leverage. It's too coincidental for him to come in the same day and then for kind of to delay or, or, or hold off talks. Um, it seems like it's a very complicated situation when you talked about what the Nets have done and um, and obviously having the, the Atkinson marks leadership is really exactly what I've been begging the Knicks to do before you do anything else, actually bring in um, the right leaders who can put that plan together. Um, but when you look at the Mellow situation, you know, 
What, what now? I mean, they don't want to take back the Ryan Anderson contract. They're trying to engage multiple teams, Gordon, excuse me, Gordon, Brandon Knight, Bledsoe. Now, where does this thing go, or do you feel like Mello is a Nick come opening night? Uh, good question. Obviously, it's become a little more complicated um, uh, in the last 24 hours or so. I still think there's there's a better chance he's traded before the, the opening night uh, than he is a Nick, but I certainly wouldn't say it's, you know, we, there were reports earlier this week that it was on the two-yard line. Certainly, it's closer to midfield, I would say, at, at this stage of the game. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would say it's probably, you know, probably 50-50 at, at, at best that, uh, that he's traded. So there's certainly a decent chance, a significant chance that he is a Nick on opening night, which I don't think is the worst thing, to be honest. Um, you know, I think the, the Knicks were relatively smart in, in, in this respect that clearly they weren't getting what they felt was fair value in return for Carmelo Anthony, um, who still has some gas left in the tank and, you know, can, can be a, a definitely a contributor on a good team. Um, but, yeah, the key for the Knicks in any mellow deal is, is essentially um, getting a player, uh, a, a players that are on young, affordable, you know, young players on rookie deals or affordable contract. Uh, but just as importantly, um, getting back draft picks and or, um, taking back, uh, you know, allowing themselves that cap space in the future. Um, you know, any reasonable franchise would have certainly pursued that as the as the as the end goal here. Um, but based on what the Knicks had done this summer with the Hardaway Jr. signing, um, it didn't. It you know, did they consider themselves contenders for a playoff spot this year? It didn't didn't really make a lot of sense. To, um, so um, that being said, I think it's smart that Perry comes in. You know, takes it certainly can't hurt to have another set of eyes look at all the offers on the table. Um, my assumption is um, they kind of let him get a, a view of the landscape as they saw it. He said, "Guys, this is this is not going to work on our end." Whether it was Ryan Anderson coming back to New York that he wasn't happy with, or Myers Leonard from Portland, or or Turner or Crab or one of those guys, um, he uh, you know likely said that uh, it wouldn't make sense of his end. And essentially, waiting and being patient has, has no real significant downside from a Knicks perspective. Uh, they can reassess the, the the trade market in February when teams get desperate. Uh, again, the Rockets have you know CP3 on a one-year deal essentially, so he's going to you know be back in free agency. If they feel pressure in February to make a deal, uh, maybe they're motivated to give up a little bit more. Um, you know, and, and from a Knicks perspective, even if there are chemistry issues, which is certainly conceivable. Um, the, the franchise has, you know, basically publicly tried to trade him for the better part of three months now. Um, what's the worst case scenario? The Knicks, again, the Knicks own their draft, did their, their, their first round pick in 2018, so if the Knicks stumble out of the gates and, you know, only win 22, 24 games next season, that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world um, because you can use that high lottery pick to pair with Porzingis and Milikina and Hernan Gomez to kind of build that young core. Um, so, again, from a Knicks perspective, um, if you weren't getting a decent trade, listen, it makes it a little more difficult, to, especially a multi-team trade at the deadline in February when you get more, more teams and parts involved. Um, but, you know, worst-case scenario, again, is, is Melo stays around um, and uh, the Knicks try to trade him in February. Even if they don't trade him in February, maybe he opts out next July um, and, and clears, you know, $27, $28 million off the book. So um, I think the Knicks were, were actually smart in this respect. The thing that the down, I understand that part, the downside to me is actually what I saw last year, and, and I've never been a big mellow guy, but now I'm at the point where I basically think he's basically Ryan, and he's, he's an outside shooter forever. Now he doesn't put the ball on the floor. He had a lot of very, very poor games last season. The entire garden was booing this guy. He would hit a game-winning shot and scream, stop cheering for me. It got ugly last year. 
now I have a thing, I think it has a chance to get really ugly if he's on a team and potentially taking minutes from a KP or a Hardaway or a Lee, and they're losing, and it's being and it's a miserable situation, and the chemistry is bad, and you know who knows where it's going to go. Again, we'll probably move a lot away from the offense that they were running into. You know who knows what they're going to run. Hornacek wants to do something a little bit more, you know, up the floor and, and fast paced, but you know. Mello to me is very, very limited in his game at this point, and I think the more he shows that and is on the court, the more teams are going to realize. Like I, I don't see his value in a place like Houston or a place like who plays up the floor nonstop. He's going to he can't play at that pace at this level anymore. And certainly Cleveland, I don't see what he brings them. He reminds me of a maybe a little bit more of an athletic Channing Fry at this time, where he's a pick and pop. He's an ISO player. A guy like Fry obviously is a really great outside shooter from a pick and pop, but they have Corver. They have these guys who, who quote unquote, spread the floor. At the end of the day, where Melo is in his career is a is a off the bench scorer that basically on a, on a contender who basically spreads the floor. I mean, do you, do you think that's fair to say? I think you're a little bit tough on Melo. Um, I've never been a huge Melo supporter, but. Um, you know, the, the the fact of the matter is the guy did average 20, you know, almost 23 points per game last year, six boards, um, you know, shot over 43, 44% from the floor, um, 36% for three. Um, so he's, he's still a talented offensive weapon. Um, probably played too many minutes, um, was near the league lead minutes for, you know, over the first half of the season. A smart team's going to limit his minutes to, you know, 28 to 32 a game, um, whether it brings him off the bench or play him starters minutes, cheaters minutes. Um you know, uh, comparing it to Johnny Fry, I think it's a bit of a stretch. I mean, Fry couldn't it get is, up the bench. And he's the, the, best, the, the best yeah. we've seen Melo in his best role I've ever seen him in is in the USA team. So I always think yeah, about how do, you build, how do you put him into that role. And if you look at that role in the USA team, he was the best spot-up shooter they had. He's got every Olympic right. record for amounts of threes. He's mm-hmm. looking for somewhere to catch and shoot. I don't know how much more you're going to get. That's why well, I bring up Fry. Well, Houston is well, – well, Houston's the perfect spot in, in terms of a spot. So they, they, they attempted more threes than any team in NBA history. Cleveland was second, I believe. And, you know, um, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, they, the third, I think the Warriors are second. But um, the point stands that these are teams that value three-point shooting and space the floor and get plenty of possessions. Um, and, and in terms of the, the, the Cavs, yes, they, they – um, you know, it, it, I believe it was the there were stretches in, in in final games where they didn't score for four or five minutes. You know, and that's a and that's a place where you got Carmelo in your team, Carmelo Anthony in your team. He's going to be able to get shots. Um, he's going to be able to get looks and knock down shots um, if used in the right way. If you can hide him defensively, again, I definitely won't argue he's a liability defensively. Um, but again, if you you surround him with Tristan Thompson and Melo, you know, and maybe Shumpert on the wing, and you know, guys that can, that can defend adequately. Um, and you can hide his defensive efficiencies, then I, then I think it makes sense in the right situation. But, again, I guess to my point is, and I understand what you're saying, that I, I don't think he's going to average 30 and be an MVP candidate the first half of the season and, and drive the value. But my point, I guess, is if you're getting pennies on the dollar now, you can get pennies on the dollar on the dollar in February. Maybe you get even 11 cents instead of 9 cents, which I guess would be my argument. Makes a lot of sense. So let's move on to the rookie, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about, you know, Summer League. Um, you know, this is the other angle that sort of seems to be head-scratching for a lot of people. They take the young kid from France uh, a couple days later, you know, who's supposedly a great fit in the triangle. A couple days later, you know, Phil is removed from his role. 
Um, and we're watching a guy who has sort of been hurt and hasn't played in a summer league, and at the same time you're watching a summer league with kids who are exploding and a rookie class that just looks phenomenal. And every time I put on the TV another incredible move from, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. or obviously the, you know, the kids that were picked, up, picked higher, um, you know, what are you hearing about the kid Nicolina? What are your thoughts on that draft pick if they had to do it all over again uh, with, with Perry instead of Phil? Do you think that's who they would have selected, or do you think they would have gone somewhere, someplace else? Yeah, I definitely think it's uh, worth making, you know, worth discussing. But I'm not convinced that had Perry or David Griffin or any other GM been in place, that the Knicks would have taken Dennis Smith Jr. ahead of Milikina. Um, I don't think Mila, yes, Milikina was a fit in the triangle, but he wasn't picked solely. In other words, if the Knicks didn't take him, Milikina wasn't going to fall to 26 because he's only a fit in the triangle. Um, plenty of teams, including the Dallas Mavericks, were very high on Milikina. Um, in the weeks and months preceding the draft, right up to draft day. Um, and Dennis Smith Jr., while he's an incredible athlete, there are some downsides and some kind of red flags there. Um, didn't play with great defensive intensity uh, in his, you know, his lone season at NC State. Um, and, and certainly he's got um, a lot didn't of show Francis in him. Absolutely. Listen, the kid is super excited. It's going to be hard for Nick fans. And Milikina is 19 years old, um, just turned 19, um, and he's going to. It's going to take a long time before he, you know, plays to the level of Dennis Smith Jr. But does Dennis Smith Jr. stay healthy? That ACL injury kind of scared some teams away a little bit. Um, so, uh, but all that being said, I don't. You know, there's plenty to criticize the Knicks about. I don't think it's fair. You know, people saying it's the next Frederick Weiss over Ron Artest. And this, that's no, that's not, it's, that's not fair. That's not fair. It is definitely not fair. Give the kid some time. Let him, let's see how he plays over his first couple months or even the first first couple years. You're going to see crazy, incredible highlight reel dunks from Dennis Smith Jr. And he's going to score 30, you know, here and there. And, you know, he's going to put up great numbers. You know, the Mavericks have a great offensive system for him to flourish in. Rick Carlisle's a great coach. Um, that's also, you got to remember, that plays in a part in the player's development. Um, and his ability to showcase his skills. Um, but that being said, Neil Aquino still has incredible upside from a Knicks perspective. He's 6'5", um, point guard skills, 7-foot wingspan, really smooth stroke on his jumper, um, good form. He, you know, he projects as, a, as an above-average NBA player. His ceiling is certainly not as high as Dennis Smith Jr., but his floor may be a little bit higher because um, he can contribute on both ends of the floor, even when his shot's not falling. Um, you know, he's a guy that get after it defensively. So um, I'm not ready uh, to kill the Knicks on, on the, on the Neil Aquino draft pick just yet. Um, let's give it a couple of days, let alone a, a couple of months, years, before we, uh, you know, draw a final conclusion on that respect. Do you have a comp for him? Is there somebody that you look at and say, he reminds me, you know, there, my, I, I, I thought initially when I looked at him, he was sort of a smaller, more of a point guard, Michael Pietris, who I'm sure you remember, could shoot the three, Air yeah. France. Uh, yeah. Reminds me a little bit of him, um, maybe a little bit of a bigger Rondo with more of a jump shot and hopefully a better attitude. Anybody come to mind when you think about Frankie? Yeah, he's a kind of a unique player in the fact that, you know, he's, I think we got to see him play more on the NBA level because, he, you know, he played some point guard but also played some combo guard, um, only played about 18 minutes per game in France. So he hasn't really had a chance to kind of develop the skill. What I'm interested to see is what the Knicks feel coming in. Are they say he's only playing point guard, you know, in other words, he's going to either back up Ron Baker or are they interested in, in, you know, signing another point guard and having him come off the bench and or play off guard some. 
um, you know, in the triangle, it's a little bit um, less relevant, you know, position in terms of a guy if he's a, you know, he's a, he's a shoot, you know, it's a point guard or a shooting guard. You know, Ron Harper before the Bulls to Chicago um, was more of a scorer slasher um, shooter um, than than with the Bulls. The Bulls put him at point guard and kind of let him facilitate the offense a little bit. So it'll be interesting, I think, what Hornacek uses him as. If he comes out and says day one, this guy's our point guard for the next 10 years. So we're going to have him handle the ball, bring the ball up, facilitate the offense, and kind of, you know, be the focal point of the team, um, you know, and start action with him at the top of the key. Or he says, no, nah, I think uh, I'm not sure what he is yet. You know, we're going to play him off the ball some, see how we contribute, uh, playing alongside some other guards. Um, I think that'll kind of be, you know, determine kind of what direction the, the early part of his career goes. Makes a lot of sense. We're talking to Tommy Beer from the senior analyst over at Basketball Insiders. You can follow Tommy on Twitter at Tommy B E E R. Let's move off the Knicks and move into something a little bit more positive. Um, I want to sort of talk a bunch, a little bit about summer league and, and about some of the players and some of the teams out there. But I specifically want to ask you about three teams who are competing. Cleveland, Houston, and Oklahoma City and, and their summers. Cleveland has done absolutely nothing, lost their GM. Obviously, rumors crazy around LeBron right now. Hard to believe after this year he stays there. Uh, Houston add Chris Paul to a team that um, has a, one of the best players in the league who's incredibly ball dominant. I understand the move, um, trying to add more pieces against the Golden State but you know it's hard to see how that really gets them much much better if you're going to take Harden now off the ball. Um, it'll be interesting to see how D'Antoni works with two point guards in that lineup. And then the Oklahoma City move, which was just absolutely brilliant. Uh, Sam Presti again doing his thing and then adding Paul George, and now they have a, a serious squad to try and go up against those teams. And if they don't do anything, clearly those both those guys will leave if it doesn't work and they can start from the beginning again. Um, give me a sort of piece on each one of those situations. Sure. Um, yeah, Cleveland. It's never a good sign when your you know your big offseason acquisitions were Jose Calderon and Jeff Green. Um, certainly not a lot to get excited about from a Cleveland perspective. Um, you could certainly see, as you mentioned, things getting a little bit ugly in Cleveland in the near future. Um, that might result in the exodus, uh, once again, of LeBron James. Um, but there's still some time for Cleveland. They can make a deal. Do they hold on to love? It sounds like that's the direction they're headed in. Um, so we'll see how that situation plays itself out. Um, as far as Houston, I'm in agreement with you. I think it's a bit of a roll of the dice for Houston. They were finished with the, the third-best record in the NBA last season. Um, they had incredible success with James Harden at the point. Uh, certainly seemed to be comfortable in Mike D'Antoni's offense, and the team seemed to flourish with him handling the ball. Uh, I'm a huge Chris Paul fan. I think he's one of the better point guards uh, of my lifetime in, in NBA history, in fact. Um, that being said, it does seem to be a bit of a risk in, in terms of uh, messing up the flow that they had in Houston last season. Now, that being said, I do under, totally understand the move. I probably would, um, you know, I, I'd make it myself. I think Chris Paul is that good that he's worth a roll of the dice, um, even if being a short-term deal and they gave up some valuable assets. I do think they'll miss Patrick Beverly a lot. I think he was a very underrated piece there. 
Um, you know, we'll see what the player Sam Decker turns into long term, and and the draft pick that the Clippers got. So I, I think that was a win-win for both sides. Um, it'll be, and, and of course, it'll be it's good for us in the media just because it'll be fascinating to see um, how the Rockets situation plays itself out. Um, you know, next season going forward. Um, and uh, yeah, the Thunder. I think um, you know one of the the more interesting moves uh, we've seen in recent uh, recent league history. Um, adding Paul George. Um, is that enough to convince uh, Westbrook to sign long term? It sounds like he's hesitant on signing the extension. Um, if he doesn't sign the extension by you know next month, let's say. Do the, do the Thunder have to consider trading him? You would think certainly not. They wouldn't even consider it, you know, considering the fact that they have Paul George for the next year. But um, they, they, obviously, San Presti and company have to be frightened, just scared to death that Westbrook leaves, uh, you know, runs off with Paul George to, to Lakerland next summer. Um, do they try to trade him in February if, if the things aren't going well? Um, so plenty to look at, a fascinating offseason, and uh, you know, plenty to reassess come, come February as well. Interesting. Very, very interesting. So let's move over into more of the younger teams. I guess we'll start with the Lakers, um, where it looks to be like that is a clear landing spot potentially for James. Um, have cleared a lot of cap space with the Mozgov move, uh, uh, added Lonzo Ball, who I'm a, I'm a huge fan of. I just think he's so much like Jason Kidd, and we've seen that exact scenario uh, over the past couple of nights, although there was never a time where a kid can score 35 points when he's on the court by himself, let alone um, a summer league game. Um, and then, you know, you look at the other moves the Lakers have done um, and have themselves in a situation where they have a bunch of young guys, Ball, Ingram, Randall, um, add Brooke Lopez to that fold, at least for this year. That's a team that actually feels like if they were in the East, they would have a shot at, at, at making the playoffs. But in the West, they'll have no shot. Um, but another pick they'll get, and then the ability. Obviously, they also have KCP, who they brought in, a clutch kid, uh, clutch agency, which is LeBron's crew. Um, it just feels like this is where LeBron's going to end up. Thoughts on that and thoughts on the job Magic and, and Rob Polinka have done so far. Yeah, I, I love the KCP signing. I think Kentavious uh, Coldwell Pope on a one-year deal is a great move by them. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, uh, the fact that he's represented by Clutch certainly um, leads many to believe that there is a building connection between um, the folks in La La Land and LeBron's camp. Um, we'll see how it plays out. I'm not on, on high as Lonzo Ball as many. I understand he's been incredible. Um, uh, and certainly in, uh, in the summer league, he's got two triple-doubles already when they're uh, in the previous 13 years of the league's existence. Uh, there had never been a triple-double. It's over 500 games, and he's got two and four. Um, so there's certainly a lot for Laker fans to be excited about. The thing that just worries me with him, it's nothing to do with his dad or anything. It's, it's the jump shot. Um, that form is just so uh, unpredictable. Um, you know, the, the best shooters uh, have a repeat. Um, you do make a great point with the Jason Kidd comparisons. Um, Kidd came into the league with, without a jumper. You know, they called him Ace Kid because he didn't have a J. Um, and he developed so, you know, one of the top five three-point shooters in the history of the sport. Um, so certainly it's incredible upside with Lonzo Ball. He's got great size, um, incredible athleticism, and sees the floor really well, uh, very high basketball IQ. So um, even if he never figures out his jumper, uh, his floor is still very high. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot for Lakers fans to be excited about. I'm not convinced that, that LeBron's going to end up in L.A. I think there's uh, 
uh, it just and, and unless they get some other really talented guys, again, he wouldn't have probably would not have gone to Miami unless Wade Boshes joined them. So, um, you know, for LeBron to leave the Eastern Conference where he basically has a cakewalk to the finals every year, uh, to go out west to, to tangle with the, the Warriors more frequently and the, and the Spurs and the Rockets and those guys, um, I think would take a lot for him. So um, I, I think we might be a little bit jumping the gun on that, but we'll see how it plays out. Lastly, um, is the Celtics. You know, I, I can't remember a team who's competed at such a high level and also had the setup to be uh, uh, incredible for the next five or ten years. Um, you know, picks coming up, a multitude of picks. Again, Brooklyn's pick next year, um, as well as others. Uh, the interesting draft day trade to get Tatum, who – by all accounts, looks like the best player in the draft so far. Uh, reminds me so much of another Paul Pierce for them. Um, they bring in Gordon Hayward. Um, obviously, losing Bradley is, is significant, but they have Smart, who, who can step up and, and, and do, for the most part, on the defensive end, what Bradley was able to do. Um, Danny Ainge has come off just like a, just an incredible genius, it feels like. And, and if they have the sort of ability to compete with Cleveland and then take over once Cleveland leaves, that's all you can ask um, as a Celtic fan. You know, give me a sense and, and give the audience a sense of what you've seen from the Celtics this summer um, and, and what you expect to see this year, obviously, with Isaiah um, in, a, in a contract there. Yeah, um, I think uh, you obviously have to give a ton of credit to Danny H. The way he's built that that team, that roster is, is, is amazingly. He's been able to kind of walk the line where they're going to be competitive. Obviously, they finished with the best record in the Eastern Conference last season, and they're going to be incredibly competitive next season and the year after and the year after and the year after. Um, again, with those draft picks and young players, eventually they'll have some tough decisions to make. Their first tough decision being uh, having being forced to trade away every Bradley. I do think that's a um, an underrated player on the on the Celtics roster you know you could argue um that a lot of games a lot of nights uh, he was their most consistent best two-way player um not only arguably the best perimeter defensive player in the league or at least in the conversation um but a developing offensive game a uh, great rebounder average over six boards a game you know over 10 percent rebound rate um so there's a uh, there's a he's a he's a really rising very very uh, you know valuable player so they'll have a tough time replacing you um, but, you know, Gordon Haywood's obviously a tremendous addition. Um, he's improved defensively, um, certainly brings a lot to the table on both ends of the floor, um, an all-star. He'll be a great fit in Boston alongside Horford and Isaiah Thomas and those guys. And then uh, we'll see how, you know, see, we'll see how it, it kind of shakes out next uh, next summer when Isaiah Thomas hits free agency as this market smart. Um, I think one positive sign for the Celtics was um, some very talented players not getting max contracts this summer. You know, we saw Kyle Lowry get, you know, essentially $90 million over three years. Um, Gallinari got less than $70 million. Paul Millsap uh, got around $90 million. Um, so those were guys that a lot of people talked about, $150 million, or, you know, how the Celtics going to pay $150 million. I think Tom keep him in his 30. Um, I think it makes sense for uh, the, the Celtics and the, and the uh, Isaiah Thomas to, to, to find a deal similar to the Lowry deal, um, where it's like three years, something along those lines, um, and that uh, might, uh, you know, be able to keep the core of this team together um, without having to break it up preemptively. Interesting. Very, very good stuff. Anything else, Tommy? That's sort of the storylines I had written down regarding what's going on in the league, the big signings, obviously the, the rookies, some of the, the hires. Anything else sort of that you've come across or you thought was sort of interesting that uh, we haven't talked about? 
Uh, no, I think you covered it mostly. I think just um, you know the, the, how competitive the West was going to be. I um, you know, did a did a, a podcast with uh, Mr. Mo Hamilton um, the man, a couple of days ago. The, man. The, uh, uh, the, the, the well-respected our buddy Mo, um, and um, you know we just talked about the Western Conference and how stacked it is. I mean, think about the fact that Anthony Davis and Demarcus Cousins and Joe, and Drew Holiday are on the same team, and there's a chance they might not make the playoffs again. Um, you know, you talk about if a team was in the East. Um, how 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 impressive they'd be. So, um, but yeah, and Minnesota, right? And, oh, and Minnesota, right? I love it. They, they've I love done a great Minnesota job. Too. Great coach, Towns and Wiggins. They're young. They're explosive. They defend. Uh, they're going to be a fun team to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be great to watch them. So yeah, it's uh, should be fun. We're getting there. A couple months away. Good stuff. TB, enjoy the rest of the summer. We'll catch up with you before opening day, and if any news big breaks, we'll have you on again. Uh, hope all is well, and uh, hope your Lions uh, try to bring it a little bit this year, huh? I'm praying I can get that Matt Stafford contract uh, in, and get, get him locked in long term, and then uh, get ready for the heartbreak uh, that will surely come with the Detroit Lions season, but I would have it no other way, and I'm uh, looking forward to it as well. Hey, I'm a Jets fan, so my heart's been 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 crushed to the point where I'm not sure it can ever be brought, put back together. And certainly, the next I, couple of years, I, I won't even think about it. <laughs> I hear you, friend. I hear you. Good stuff. Thanks, Tommy. Appreciate it. Speak soon. All right. Be good, buddy. Later. Thanks. That's uh, Tommy Beer, uh, the senior analyst over at uh, Basketball Insiders. Uh, you could follow him on Twitter at Tommy Beer, T-O-M-M-Y-B-E-E-R. And it's funny. There's so many great basketball minds out there obviously so many of them live on on twitter um but if you if you want to follow somebody and read his stuff who is as good as anybody i've ever come across and i've been reading and consuming basketball media for basically 30 to 33 years he is as good as it gets just a bright mind who uh who's exploded on Twitter um, and gets just an incredible amount of engagement because he's really built a niche around analytics and numbers that, uh, that nobody else does. And he's been a, a big friend of the show, a good friend of mine. And, uh, um, and I appreciate Tommy coming on on this summer Friday to spend some time with us to talk about everything that's going on in the league and the, N- and the NBA, uh, which is out in Vegas, uh, for the rest of the weekend. So I appreciate Tommy. I appreciate the guys from Basketball Insiders uh, having him on today. I appreciate everybody listening to the show. I am going to visit my son. It's been almost three weeks, and I have not seen him. He is at sleepaway camp, and uh, this weekend will be a very special weekend as I can see him with my family and get us all back together. So it's an exciting time, and uh, looking forward to seeing my little guy and seeing how much hoops and sports and how he's uh, grown uh, over the last couple of weeks. So exciting stuff and, uh, appreciate everybody listening and enjoy the, the weekend. Try to download the podcast and listen on your trip out to the beach or any other weekend commute, uh, or your commute on the way home today. Appreciate everybody. And as my man, Mad Dog Russo likes to say, adios. Podcast, the one that you heard about, talking sports media, buzz and the word of mouth, social is the currency, seeing what the buzz will be, talking sports and culture, you never know what'll be coming next, cause that's the time.
type of podcast you listen to, powered by the hyper brands. Who the man? Yo, Ryan at the forefront. Got it on my iTunes. Walking through the storefront, listen to the broadcast. He touches almost anything: sports, culture, media, technology, and marketing. So listen to the man right ahead of his time on your podcast. You can download or listen live. So here comes the podcast. Here comes your host. The Burger Shop now live from coast to coast. In any way you want to do it, listen to the show. Ryan got the insights. The Burger Shop, you know. Burger. 